Join us this week as our special guest, Dr. Omar Hamada, leads us into a deeper discussion of Tennessee's abortion laws, how the COVID jabs have increased overall vaccine skepticism, and the broader topics of America's Christian foundations. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. What? So, yeah. What is, what is happening? So, <laughs> already? Every year, every year in my family, I'm the first to play Christmas music. So, well, it's not wow. Halloween yet. <laughs> well, by the time this airs, Halloween will be in a rearview mirror. Nice. And it will be November. And so, November is the month of what? I. Thanksgiving? Thanks, yeah. Thanksgiving. Right. Okay. And so Thanksgiving is, of course, the beginning of the Christmas season. So sure, November is certainly time to play. Do you have your tree up yet? I was no, going to no, 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 no. <laughs> Okay, good No, grief. because we do a real tree, and so we can't put it up until Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. So is that the traditional time, Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah, day after yeah. Thanksgiving. Thanks, Mr. Producer. That's awesome. Wow. I, and I, I asked him to do that so that I could get your natural reaction. I didn't want you to know that was coming. <laughs> But thank you for indulging me. Oh, that's great. So, Gary, we have a guest, a very special guest today, which it's always great to have a, a third wheel on our on our car here. Hmm. Keeps the keeps the stool up. Otherwise, I don't know about how special, down. but hey, thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I'm excited to have uh, Omar Hamada uh, with us here on the show, and I know a lot of folks here in Williamson County know Mr. Hamada. He's he's not only been uh, you know, politically active in the party and just, you know, been around the block, but also um, got, I'll, I'll let you tell your story because you have an a, amazing history of <laughs> all these things you've done. But I think a lot of people also know you as a, as a doctor who's been very active and outspoken in the pro-life movement. And, um, you know, I, I know I've, I've seen you on TV once or twice, you know, yep. uh, defending life, which we greatly appreciate, which we want to talk a little bit about today. And I will tell you for me, I was thankful to have your voice out there during all of the COVID nonsense, to be one of the voices of sanity, uh, at least willing to question the narrative, right? Because right. there was a, a time where you just, you weren't allowed to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And to hear someone with MD behind their name posing some of the same questions I was asking mm -hmm. was quite refreshing. And I know it was refreshing for many. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, it was frustrating to see how hard the medical community and establishment actually pushed back against some of that stuff. I actually had someone I know on the Board of Medicine here in Tennessee come up and basically corner me and say, we're watching you. Be careful. Wow. <clears throat> because who put him in authority over you, right? Right. We're watching <laughs> you. Yeah. So did your license ever get threatened? No. Okay. It, you know, it was threatened, I think, um, early on, like in 19, when that famous, infamous tweet came out that I that I put out. They got like 10 million hits on abortion after Mario Cuomo came out with his legislation in New York. And it was threatened then by people on social media. And I took some of it seriously because all someone has to do is make a complaint to the Board of Medicine. And they take those seriously. So, But thankfully, a good friend, Jay Seculo, said, you know, if anything comes of that, let me know and I'll take care of it. So thankfully, we didn't have to go that route. You know, I have a lot of history with Jay. 
Do you? Yeah. So Jay defended Lynchpins of Liberty, mm-hmm. my organization, in 2013. I was the first IRS target to testify before the House Ways and Means Committee, June 4th, 2013. We couldn't have won that battle against the IRS had it not been for the ACLJ taking our case. Wow. He's a yeah. great guy. I love what he does. Yep. Well, there's so much we can talk about. I, I guess, you know, I guess sort of part one, let's talk about COVID a little bit. And by the way, what's interesting, we've been on YouTube for a while, and I don't know how Tennessee Stands has skated by for so long, but finally, <laughs> finally this week, I've, I got my first community strike. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Congratulations. So I, um, Tennessee Stands is forbidden from uh, uploading to YouTube for a week. Right? No way. You know, we just got punished by our first strike. So what wow. was what was the content? That- well, I just I was talking about the uh, CDC requirements that recently came out that added the COVID uh, shot to the childhood schedule, and uh, and I think usually in my video I, I I stick to the law, right? I don't get into a lot of narrative. I stick to the the legal functions of what's happening here in Tennessee. Well, I think I veered off that off of that a little bit and I think I may have said uh the death shot <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and that uh, that was that did uh, it. So anyway. So you're you're in the um as they used to say in my home growing up, the black chair. You're you've been given a timeout for a week. That's right. Said the wrong nice. said the wrong thing. <laughs> That's so, a badge of badge, honor, Exactly. Gary. That's what I was going to say. Badge of honor. Maybe you can say that on Twitter now, though. I wonder if you can say that on Twitter today, <laughs> since Elon you apparently is now at the, yeah. at the helm. The bird is free. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so let's talk about that, actually, for a little bit. What thoughts on this, which, thank God, we were able to get some legislation passed in Tennessee, which restricts the state in any way whatsoever, creating a mandate, whether it be for schools or for the childhood schedule or whatever. The state in Tennessee cannot mandate or make a requirement uh, for a shot for COVID. So I'm, I'm thankful for Excellent. that. Excellent. However, I mean, this is a, a, an issue across the nation and, and coming into this upcoming school year, children are going to have to take the shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, our families are going to have to start homeschooling. So families have some decisions to make across the country. What are your thoughts on the CDC making this move? Don't even get me started, Gary. I mean, I hate this. It makes me so angry. I mean, it makes me angry than almost anything else because, number one, the kids don't need the shot. I mean, COVID doesn't really affect children the same way it does adults. Uh, some of these new uh, strains, you know, may a little bit. but and, and, yeah, you might hear of a kid here or a kid there that really gets really sick or dies. But in general, kids don't suffer severe disease from COVID. So to mandate a shot, yeah, I can I can see them saying, well, it's to protect the elderly and to protect older people. But the best immunity we get is from getting a disease, not from immunization. Mm-hmm. It's deeper, it's wider, and it's longer lasting. Um, so to have kids man- subjected to something like this through a mandate or a strong recommendation with a shot that we still don't really know the long-term effects of is – crazy and criminal and evil. It really, mm-hmm. it, it is in my mind. I, I, I can't stand it. And then there are many physicians that are going on saying, yeah, I just gave my five-month-old a COVID shot. I'm like, why? Mm. I mean, it's it's dangerous and it's stupid and it's evil. I mean, do they plan to give that five-month-old a, a, a booster in, yeah. in a few weeks? Certainly. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's incredible. And the thing is, too, now, like the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Medical Association— and several other 
medical organizations have come out and basically said, if anybody comes out and speaks out against this, that's misinformation. And we will, I don't know if the if prosecutes the word, but we will come after you. Uh, and these are national medical organizations that represent millions, you know, millions of doctors, but not all of us, evidently. Sounds more like they represent the pharmaceutical industry yeah. than they actually do the doctors. Yeah. yeah. Which has been the trend, well, for 100 years, but accelerated over the last decade and then even more so in the last two years. Mm -hmm. The uh, pharmaceuticals have have a lot of control over medicine, don't they? They really do. And when I, when I say millions, it's really hundreds of thousands of doctors. I mean, I think we've got maybe 700,000 active physicians in the United States. Mm -hmm. Wow. Somewhere in there. Interesting number. This question just came into my mind because it's something that – so before 2020 or before COVID, before we were exposed, I think, to a level of corruption, not just with pharmaceuticals but even – government entities, I mean, just all the way down. I think populations were exposed to a level of corruption that either we did not understand before or maybe just chose to turn a blind eye to. But in 2020, you could no longer ignore it. Mm -hmm. it, it was just there, right? Yeah. And in terms of vaccines, I'll say for me, I was never an anti-vaxxer. I was never even really skeptical Mm -hmm. of vaccines. In fact, I, my wife and I were having this conversation there. I kick myself now. It's like 2018 or something. I was doing some woodwork and uh, I ran my hand across a piece of wood like an idiot and got a massive like splinter mm. like that ran down my finger. It was Ouch. incredibly <laughs> painful. And I went to an urgent care facility and got it pulled out or whatever. And the, the doctor asked me, now, this is just, it's a piece of wood, right? It's yeah. a splinter. It's a splinter, y'all. <laughs> and he asked me, when was the last time you had a tetanus shot? And I'm thinking, my, my, my first response was, well, I remember, like, if I understand if I got a nail in my foot <laughs> or something. A rusty nail. Yeah, but why don't, why would you suggest it? To me? He said, well, he said, because it, it's a foreign object. And really, any any foreign object, you know, you get a tetanus shot. But I thought for a long, I, I really, I was I was torn about it. I was like, I don't understand why I need this. Like, and the doctor's like, well, it's your decision. Anyway, I I, I went for it. I, I would never. You took I the did tetanus it. shot, I did Gary. it. I did. I would never do that today. But <laughs> For a piece of wood. <laughs> but uh, that's right. I think about, like. For a freaking splinter, I took a tetanus <laughs> shot. All okay. right. Well, you know, so just from the medical perspective, and I, I think one thing that I really regret is that this whole thing that's happened with COVID and immunizations, it's jaded everything now. Which, but but like, shouldn't it, though? Shouldn't in it some call ways, to question everyone's motivations and intentions? Well, certainly. Yeah. So with tetanus, for example, let's say you got an injury, you went into the ER, they say, have you had a tetanus shot in the past five to 10 years? If you say no, and they say, well, let's give you one today, what you get today isn't going to help you with that current injury, right? It's for next time. Mm -hmm. So it's just basically a, a tetanus booster that we need every 10 years. And tetanus is a deadly disease. So I'm still an advocate of tetanus shots and tetanus boosters. If you were actually infected with tetanus right now, you'd get tetanus toxoid, which would be an immunoglobulin that would attack the tetanus uh, instead of a tetanus shot, which wouldn't really affect your current mm -hmm. injury. So that's just, they're taking an opportunity to boost so, you so, up on so tetanus. The, so, but, but, let me, but to your point, the fact that this sucker uh -huh. convinced me to take a tetanus shot because I had just had a piece of wood. 
he was either lying to me or he didn't really understand he was what he was selling you. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's exactly, exactly what, what it is. Yeah, because the because <clears throat> that shot would not was had nothing to do with my current condition, right? Yeah. Well, it's the same as when I went son so, of a gun. So I have mild asthma, and so I use an inhaler that I carry with me. Mm-hmm. Takes me probably six months to go through a whole two hundred puff inhaler, but when I get it renewed, the the most recent time, probably a month or two ago. Just randomly, or it felt random, but it was obviously very deliberate on their part. I'm walking away from the counter, and the pharmacist says, by the way, have you had a pneumonia vaccine? And I said, what? <laughs> Do I look like I'm sick? She's on, oh, pneumonia's, pneumonia's like really problematic right now. And I'm thinking, yeah, because of the COVID jab, which creates as a side effect, right? One of the one of the VAERS side effects in, in the pneumonia, in the instances of pneumonia, that and for bad protocols with COVID. But here again, it just felt like a sales pitch. Yeah. She didn't look at she didn't look at anything about me or my medical history. It was just mm-hmm. a. By the way, do you want a pneumonia vaccine? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And having been in the military, I mean, I've gotten every immunization known to man. I mean, from yellow fever to dengue to West Nile to I mean, you name it. Stuff that you the plague. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Am I am I right? Were you you were like a, a medic in our, in Iraq and not Iraq, right, but Afghan. I was Afghanistan, in, the special, in the special forces in the right. Green Berets for about ten years. Wow, and as I'm, a as a medic, as a flight surgeon, a diving medical officer. Wow. So it was it was great, and it was one of the things I regret leaving. I should mm-hmm. have stayed in. What years was that? So I was in from eighty nine to two thousand four. I was in the special forces from ninety four to two thousand four. Okay. Yeah. So you've seen some pretty serious stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> it's incredible. So, well, I want to close the loop on that. So my, my question that I was getting at is you're a doctor. You've clearly you've given vaccines, mm-hmm. right? And I, just question, because one thing that I think a lot of our listeners and, and I know for me, we've watched a lot of interviews with doctors over the past two years that have been giving you're taught in medical school to give vaccines, but there's not a whole lot of education that happens about what's in the vaccine, right? I mean, it's just like any other pharmaceutical here. This treats this, you know, go ahead. Would you say as a physician that based on what we've seen over the last two years, are you, would you at least be willing to say you're a lot more interested in what is in a vaccine than maybe you used to be before you just willy-nilly administer something in the future? Did, did, Did what has transpired over the past two years caused you to be a little bit more cautious about sure. the industry. Certainly has. And so some things you may not know. I used to work for Pfizer for three years Interesting. as a research scientist. Um, I did immunology research at St. Jude Children's Hospital when I was in medical school. Okay, so ba- so just so based on that, I mean, yeah, so you're already in terms of the research part, you're you're way beyond your typical physician right. that's that's giving a vaccine. Yep, yeah, true. So, you know, immunology and, and vaccine science makes sense and it works. And it saved millions, tens of millions of lives, if not hundreds of millions of lives over 150 years, you know, since the smallpox vaccination. But the way that vaccines have been changed now, it's become a business. Mm-hmm. And most pharmaceutical companies, not most, all of them, I mean, they really answer to their stakeholders and shareholders and willing to uh, take on some element of risk to increase stock price. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. But there is good science behind it yeah. in general. Uh, but at the same time, studies can be manipulated and killed and, you know, based on perceived out- or potential outcomes and things like that. So, yeah, I think I've become a lot more skeptical and less willing to accept being told, hey, this is great. You ought to give it to your patients. Well, I want to know 
Why? Let me see the science. Yeah. Let me see the studies, the side effect profiles, the ingredient list, you know, what's in it. So if it makes sense, I know immunology and vaccine science works and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But let's see what this stuff that we're putting in our bodies actually is and what does it actually do. Yeah. Because isn't the Pfizer jab and the Moderna jab actually a gene therapy, right? mRNA, experimental gene therapy. Yeah. So are we not even crossing a line when we call it a vaccine? And aren't we giving into an argument that... So if anybody says you're vaccine hesitant or you're anti-vaxxer, even if, I, I'm of the position that Gary is, my whole view of vaccines has become very skeptical in general in the yeah. last couple of years. But setting that aside... I have never accepted the bait on COVID once I found out that it was an entirely different animal, mm -hmm. right? It's an artificial yeah. gene therapy, and that's right. where I refuse to call it a COVID vaccine. I call right. it the jab, call it the shot, call it experimental um, gene therapy. But I guess where yeah. I was going with that is I, w when we talk about it, I don't even like to call it a vaccine. I agree, and technically it's not. I mean, they've, they've you know, what the left and— what the left does, and now a lot of other people have taken this on, is they change language and they mm -hmm. change meaning to try to, well, to try to change reality. Yep. So it's not technically a vaccine. What a vaccine does is it introduces an antigen into the body that the body then reacts to and produces antibodies and an immune response to. Right. What this does is it introduces mRNA into the cells, the transport into the cells, and the cells basically then translate them, and the cells produce the antigen based on the genetic code that they were delivered. So the end effect is supposedly, you know, it's still going to vaccinate, but it's not technically a vaccine. And then we don't know, well, you know, long-term effects when you introduce foreign genetic material that's not an antigen into a cell, you know, what are you doing? Long -term? Like uh, plastic being pulled out of people's arteries on these Autopsies, right? Autopsies. right? The autopsies yeah. and the amount of plastic that they're pulling out the, of people's... The stories coming from the embalmers actually now at yeah. a at a an alarmingly high rate, you, you can't ignore it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite incredible yeah. to read some of the stories from yeah. these embalmers. They yeah. like I've never just all they can say is, I I've never seen this. I, yeah. I don't know what I'm looking at. Well we have seen I want to be careful with, you know, for myself with just, you know, how I build this out, but at the same time, what I've seen in the emergency room over and over and over are previously healthy people that come in with blood clots, you know, pulmonary emboli, heart attacks, strokes that were previously healthy. Mm -hmm. And and many of them, you know, two weeks out, you know, when did you take the COVID shot? Oh, it was just two weeks ago. Right. And now they come in with. So there is some concern. And that's, I think, not, you know, not the majority of people that get the jab, but there are enough to take notice. To, yeah, as that, we pointed out to last ask week, the questions. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, the refusal to even ask the question, that's right? The problem. When you see, there was one day this week that so many stories came out in one day let me see if I can find them while we're talking, that the common denominator is we don't know why they died. It's like, come on. they 13-year-old with a heart attack. Or yeah, th otherwise healthy 13-year-old 30-year-old soccer player in Britain. Or, yep, yeah. runner, runner running or a hockey player, basketball player. And instead of saying we want to get to the bottom of this, all of the articles stop with we have no idea why they died, give <laughs> us privacy. Yeah. It's, they're not even being honest with themselves. Right. Well, there's, us. so here's the thing. Look, there's a lot of reasons that this podcast is going to lose listeners today. For one, uh, they're very put <laughs> Wait, off. Wait, Omar's fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, so whenever we want to shrink our audience. Yeah. For, for one, they're very put off that uh, I submitted to a, a tetanus shot. <laughs> 
for a oh. pe- for a, for a splinter. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but you repudiated that. That's oh, the key. If they get that offended over that, <laughs> uh, no, you repented and you repudiated. You're right. calling yourself out, right? Yeah. Then we found out, you know, Omar used to research for Pfizer, and then I'm like, you know, uh, people are like, okay, I'm. But I'm he's out. not advocating for <laughs> Pfizer. That's right. So let me let me give let me give you the third strike. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna go for number three. Um, I I want to talk about what a lot of people don't like to talk about. Even churches don't like to talk about. I want to talk about abortion. Mm-hmm. Omar, one of the things, other things I, I respect greatly about you is, is your voice in the pro-life movement and advocating and by the way, for the unborn. And you have a great voice. Thanks. Yeah. You guys Dude. both have great radio voices. I feel like I'm the narrow I feel voice like I'm of the crowd. Up. I feel like I'm one up today, though. <laughs> These Omar, mics make us sound awful. Omar make us got sound good. He's got the, the radio voice for sure. It's been interesting to me, and I, and I want to talk about it because Tennessee is... is um, Maybe the most unique. I don't know. I, there are few states. You may know better than me, but Tennessee is one of the few that currently now has pretty much, for the most part, outright banned abortions in the wake of the overturning of Roe v. Wade in in the Dobbs case. And so that has caused quite a stir in our state. There's a lot of conversation happening. Of course, our law also is unique in the sense that there is no exception for rape or incest uh, in Tennessee law. So and and i will say that particular point is one that i i find very contentious mm-hmm. uh even in the most conservative audience sure. right trying to wrestle with the the for lack of a better word the rightness of mm-hmm. that right and i want to have this conversation because i've noticed as i've made a few posts about roe v wade you know our audience is very uh, election integrity and medical freedom oriented and whenever you dive into the life conversation divisions start to occur you know and they're like oh, i don't want to talk about abortion or you know i'm or i'm pro-choice or i believe it how can you believe in medical freedom and not believe in a woman's right to choose yeah. which is a whole nother conversation but one of the things i noticed recently and this actually precipitated me wanting to have this conversation since that law is now in effect which by the way it officially went into effect. Our trigger bill went into effect in Tennessee in August 25th. Mm-hmm. So since August 25th of this year, abortion has been illegal. No exception for uh, rape or incest. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I, someone sent me a picture last week. This is right here in Franklin at Cool Springs Walmart. Uh, and there's this really cool, nicely branded, very attractive, bright colors. It's clearly being marketed to young people. Mm-hmm. Clearly. This new brand of of a Plan B pill called Julie, mm-hmm. and uh, wait, like the girl's name? Yes, Julie. It's called mm-hmm. Julie, and um, it's it's a Plan B pill. And typically, you know, Plan B has has been legal over the counter for I mean, almost a decade for a, for a while now. But but usually, you would have to go. It's usually behind the pharmacy counter, and it's one of those things where you it's in a plastic box or whatever. You got to go ask for it, and there's a so I was reading about this. I studied it. There's usually a stigma attached to it, right? And I'm reading an article written by um, – and, of course, it, they're celebrating the fact that Julie was founded by a black woman, and this is all about freedom and liberty, and it's it's being heavily marketed towards the black population. This is about you know black freedom and black power and BLM, and we got to take care of you know our black women. They need this option, yada, yada, yada. And she talks about that. She said one of the, one of the reasons she she started this brand was literally to remove the stigma 
that young women feel of having to walk in somewhere and buy a Plan B pill. So it, it was all about making it look attractive and sexy and and normalizing that this is something you should do. You shouldn't be embarrassed to walk. And so this display in Walmart is like it's it's one of those um, cardboard displays in the middle of the aisle, you know, in the front of the store. This isn't like a little side piece or something. It's quite large. And it just – it impacted me because this is the first time we're seeing this so front and center and it it got my mind stirring on the creativity that we're about to see from the left on different ways to access whether it be plan b or or, or some other type of uh, abortifacient which we'll get into in a little bit I'm sure in light of the laws here in Tennessee and um it's an uncomfortable topic for many. I love talking about uncomfortable topics. Mm-hmm. I think we need to. And uh, so I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I wanted to hear your thoughts as a physician, as someone who advocates for life. But that's where we are here in Tennessee. Uh, that, By the way, that Julie brand came out on September 25th, so it's very recent. This is new. Wow. We've never seen this before. We've never, We've never seen Plan B being made so upfront and center and a, and a and a tr- attractive before right. you know as as an option yeah. right yeah. so I'm going to pass the baton all right so i think there are a few things to talk about here one i think it would be remiss to not point out that this is actually a spiritual war mm, always and it's a ch- it's a difference of worldviews and we're never going to win this war as long as we're here on earth, you know, until Jesus comes back. Mm. But it's something that we still have to fight, and we fight it with compassion and integrity and empathy. Mm. We fight it legislatively. We fight it um, by supporting these women who are unfortunately caught uh, in difficult situations. And I I have a lot of compassion and empathy for these ladies who end up pregnant without wanting to be pregnant. Mm. We can talk all day about sin and premarital sex and chastity, and all that, but if someone isn't a follower of Jesus, and even if they are these days in this society, many people are making choices um, that aren't scriptural, right? So how do we manage that in a world that we live in, but also how do we protect the infants that result from these uh, sexual unions? If we have sex, we're going to reproduce. I mean, that's just a fact of life. You know, back in the 20s when contraception became legal, actually it was in the 60s when it really became legal between even married couples. Before that, I mean, sex was linked with procreation, and now we've unlinked it, and we're such an oversexed society, yet we're so antinatal. I mean, we we lean heavily into sexual freedoms, but we're so against life and reproduction. And in fact, it's not overpopulation that is an issue now, but it's actually decreased birth rates that will eventually wipe out certain segments of society. So that that you okay, that's one of these like news articles that have come across my feed that I've read recently that, you know, this this the statistics are showing now that we are reproducing at a rate where the the human population globally is in decline. Right. Yeah. We're, yeah, not, we're not, we're not, hitting we're not replacing yeah, ourselves. Right. So that that's you you would that's Certain true. societies are. Yeah. I mean wow. in Central Africa and the Middle East and and in the Latin America I think reproductive rates are are high, but in the western world 
we aren't even reproducing to the point that we're uh, replacing our our population. We're declining. Wow. So, so there's that. Um, so just to sort of build out the story um, in 2019. So this is three and a half years ago. I had just gotten over some surgery. I had a, a, a health issue. Ended up in surgery, um, and I was recovering two days post op, laying in my bed in my apartment. And uh, Governor Mayor, Mario Cuomo came on television, the mayor of New York at the time, celebrating, saying <laughs> New York now has the greatest legislation in the history of the United States. That's the most aggressive abortion legislation. And it did three things. It removed homicidal protections for the infant. Before any infant after 24 weeks that was killed in utero, uh, the person who committed that crime was held liable for murder. Now the child was not considered life, even up until 40 weeks until the child was delivered. Uh, so all homicidal protections were removed. Second thing it did was it made abortion available to everyone without any indication. Before, you had to have certain indications for abortion for second or third trimester abortions, right? But now uh, all indications are removed just based on mom's consent desire. or desire. <clears throat> kind of like no-fault divorce. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the third thing it did is it opened it up from only physicians can do abortions to anyone who's certified can do an abortion. It doesn't have to be a doctor. Which is nurse, ironic. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Ironic, isn't it? Because haven't the abortionists always claimed that, well, we need to pass the law so people won't go into a back alley exactly. with a clothes hanger? Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Coming so, to one of these good licensed facilities. You know? yeah. yeah. So I've I've been prolific on Facebook for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, but I'd never really done much on Twitter. But I Facebooked this and then shortened it up for the 140 characters and cross-tweeted it and went to sleep. The next morning I woke up and my phone had blown up. So within 48 hours, we had about 10 million hits Wow! between Twitter and Facebook. And Fox News reached out and contacted me on Instagram and said, hey, can we talk to you? So it sort of took off from there. And after that— I wonder if know, God had anything to do with that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I was, I was like two days post-op in my hospital, but, you know, bed basically recuperating. Yeah, that was all God. <clears throat> Nothing I did. I mean, a tweet— Really? Mm-hmm. So, um, and so much has happened since then uh, we can talk about. But last week, um, I'm also medical director of Portico, which is a pregnancy support center in Murfreesboro. Uh, so last At which I've recently become aware of the uh, Portico. And uh, I went to a banquet in Memphis for um, Life Choices. Yeah. And, Speaking um, there next year. And you know what was all, I, I'm just going to brag a bit. It was actually quite amazing. I'm, I got invited. I'm, I'm, I don't know why. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm like in the front. At this really great table, and I'm I'm sitting right next to uh, a man from Mississippi named Jamison Taylor, who is one of the key authors of the piece of legislation that went on to the Dobbs case. Wow. And uh, I'm having dinner with this guy. Wow. And uh, it was pretty amazing. But anyway, I, I got exposed to Portico and the work that they do, and so it's pretty amazing. Fantastic. Steve Copeland, who's the president mm-hmm. um, there, I actually delivered his daughter back in the 1990s in wow. Memphis. Wow. How about so, that? Yeah, good friends. <clears throat> yeah, small world. Yeah. Um, so last week I was speaking at Portico for their fundraiser, uh, fundraising luncheon, and we were discussing this exact, exact thing. You know, it's a matter of life, and it's a matter of when does life begin and when is life valued. I think anybody you ask is going to say the life of an eagle begins at conception. The life of a buffalo begins at conception. The life of a, a hyena begins at conception. The life of a human, uh it begins when mom decides it does. Mm. What's the difference? I mean, now we're linking, you know, comfort and convenience to 
the definition of life and when it's a purely scientific issue. The life begins at conception. I mean, when a sperm and an egg come together, life is created. I mean, there's a little microscopic burst of light, and life is created at that point. It's so, not when the child implants. It's not when the child right. reaches, yes. you know. Uh, Let's <clears throat> clarify that. Sorry uh, sorry to keep yeah. pausing, but this this is one of the debates right now literally going on on an Instagram post on mm-hmm. our channel. Uh, over this Plan B thing that I posted. You know, and there's all these articles and people are posting, of course, like, you know, Wikipedia this and, and this source and that source. Well, no, the definition of conception is whenever the uh, zygote implants, you know, uh, onto the uterus, you know. And I, I've always thought that, you no, know, whenever fertilization happens, right. that's conception, that's life. Exactly. Regardless of whether or not it's attached to the wall of the uterus or not. Yeah. Which, as a... As a, as a as Fairly a scientist, well, yes. scientist, physician, yes, that's what you would you would that's acknowledge. It. Yes, okay, yeah. all right, okay. Before you go on, though, let me even open the curtain further, because from a Christian perspective, Psalm one thirty nine tells us that God's eyes saw our unformed bodies, mm. and that all wow. the days ordained for us were written as in His book before one of them came to be. Mm. So, from God's perspective. <laughs> Life began before even the temporal time and space element that we see. And so if we're committed to a Christian view of life, mm. first of all, that aspect, but the other as- aspect goes to, and and Omar, I'll let you get back to it because I've noticed in your writings and your interviews, you talk about this. It really comes down to who decides, mm. right? Does man get to identify himself? Does man identify the world in which he lives? Or does God identify and define. And that's the argument. Who is man? Man is created. And ironically, the men and women who have been born who were not aborted are the ones who are arguing (laughs) to abort other people. Exactly. They're co-equal created in the image of God. What gives them the authority to say, you can't be born, you can't be born, you can be born, whereas the Christian worldview rooted in a knowledge of the scriptures is the only thing that is rational anyway, because the God who created us also gives us the definition of this is life, this is right, this is wrong, and he does it for our good, doesn't he? Nowhere in the definition of life does pain, does comfort or convenience or societal impact enter into it. Mm -hmm. Value, perhaps, from a worldview of, you know, a, a secular worldview, but nowhere in that definition does any of that enter into the definition of life. The difference is, too, with regards to worldviews, is is the life of a human different than the life of an eagle or a mm-hmm. hyena or a buffalo? And we believe that it is because we believe we were created in the image of God. should be more a, valuable, exactly. right? Exactly. Well, we're different. And to prove your point, it's not the hyenas or the eagles or the elephants who are sitting around talking about <laughs> this, right? It's the human beings. Exactly. So then, then people talk about you know sentiments too. I mean, you know, if if somebody can't make a cogent thought, then they shouldn't really have value. So that goes to question. Then what about our president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So, um, Hello. Yeah. Sorry about that. Next topic. No, no, no. We, we welcome that. We just lost a few more listeners. I'm sorry. No, no. They're no. They they appreciated that. Yeah. Sure. That's awesome. Um, so you so you know so life. I believe yeah, life. Be, I don't just believe life. Scientifically, begins at conception. It's not at implantation. It's not when the heart starts beating. It's not when science can maintain a baby out of utero. It's not at delivery. It's not when mom decides the baby's wanted. Mm-hmm. Life begins at conception, period. So these issues of, and I was listening to Apple Podcasts yesterday, and there is a whole network of people now 
mobilizing and shipping in and uh, shipping to women the uh, like mifepristone and the abortion pills from Mexico free of charge wow. to women who request all over the country. And that's illegal and it's evil and it yeah. continues what we're talking about. But plan B. Plan B, you know, whenever we talk about hormonal contraception or pregnancy uh, avoidance, um, they always, whether it's IUDs or what have you, they always say, oh, it doesn't prevent, uh, it's not that, um, you know, it prevents conception. It prevents, it's not just implantation. But the truth is, they, they, they the advertise plan right. B as, quote, emergency conception. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Contraception. Yeah. yeah. Uh, contraception. Yeah. Sorry. But what it actually does is it disallows primarily, this primary mechanism of action is it disallows implantation. It doesn't prevent conception. So it doesn't, if we say that life begins at conception, we're aborting a living being mm -hmm. with a separate mm -hmm. DNA structure. Mm -hmm. So we're just preventing implantation or causing an implantation that hasn't fully implanted to detach and be shed. So we're actively participating in the killing of a human soul. And again, we want to have compassion and empathy for the women in their social situations and shame and economic difficulty and oftentimes schooling. they're doing making these yeah. decisions out of just hopelessness exactly yeah. but choice doesn't come after a life has been created choice right. comes before mm. right so we're all for choice but it's not the choice of do i kill my child or not that's not a choice the choice comes with do i sleep with this guy or not yeah. or do i use contraception you know in a secular environment or not and yeah i understand you know things happen my mentor, Adrian Rogers, used to say all the time, we can choose our choices, but we can't choose our consequences. And unfortunately, I think for some, it's the same thing here. So, so what, I mean, I, I know the answer, but I'm just, I'm just, so I'm, I'm pitching this. Um, I'm, I'm playing the TC Mitts right now, yeah. Kevin. That's what I'm doing. The celebrated man in the streets. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm taking on that role right now. Um, so with everything you just said, what do you say to those that say, well, okay, I hear everything you're saying, but to make abortion illegal, you know, we, we're legislating morality, you know? Kevin? Okay, I'd say no. I got an answer to that. Yeah. Go Maybe ahead. My, my answer first. Yeah. We're always legislating morality. The question is, whose morality are we legislating? Are we legislating morality that is rooted in an understanding that the created order was created by God? Or are we legislating man's morality that says man is autonomous and he can make his own decisions about who he is, what society is, how we're created? But we're always legislating morality. We are. And I'd, I'd say there are two answers mm -hmm. to that. I want to come back to church and state separation. But with legislation of morality, I'd say technically, you know, we're not legislating the morality of premarital sex. What we're legislating is the morality of killing an individual life because of messing up or, or, you know, however you want to term it. Um, yeah. You, you just feel like you don't need consequences for your actions. Exactly. You know, which happens to be someone else's life now at this right. point. Right. Know? So at what point do we say life doesn't matter enough to preserve it or to protect it or to fight for it? So we go to Belgium or Oregon or the Netherlands and say this 23 year old in Belgium who was a witness to the bombing several years ago, who has been on 11 different antidepressants, uh, who last week won her case and was basically euthanized uh, or physician-assisted suicide, 23 years old, because of PTSD. She wasn't directly affected physically, but mentally and emotionally, she had PTSD to the extent that they felt 
she qualifies and we'll let her kill herself. And that was a moral decision. Wow. Um, and that's that's expanding all over the world. I mean, Canada is now a big proponent of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. We have states in the United States from Rhode Island to <clears throat> Oregon to Washington to California. So at what point do we draw the line? Because it's coming. It's coming. At what point is there the line in the sand where we say we're not going to cross this? Because it's like a frog in boiling water. And, and we keep giving and conceding and backing up. And eventually we've got nothing left to protect. Yep. That's good. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking at the clock and uh, would love to have we you s- back. We started late. Let's go, let's go a, little bit, a little bit. Can so I make another close. point then? Please do. <laughs> okay, so this whole thing about separation of church and state, I'm sure you guys have addressed it, and I'm sure we're on the same page here. It's not that we don't legislate our beliefs because everybody legislates their beliefs. Secularists and atheists legislate their beliefs. Of course they do. Right? So separation of church and state isn't that I don't legislate my beliefs and my morals. It's that the, the, the state doesn't mandate a state religion or church. Yes, and that's a that's a that's a deep topic that would take us because I've I've got a whole pre- I feel like, I've got a whole presentation and a PowerPoint. I don't remember <laughs> the I don't remember the context, but I feel like just one two three episodes ago we we brought up the letter to the Danbury Baptist. Some, mm-hmm. For some reason, we talked on about here. We did, yeah, we did. And I can't <clears> remember what in what context it was. Well, it because was, people it, misunderstand. Well, I would say the ignorant, and I don't even mean that disparagingly. Mm-hmm. People who don't know misunderstand this notion of separation of church and state. But as you intimated, and as Gary is suggesting, that language never was intended mm-hmm. to keep the church out of the state. It was intended to keep the state, state. <laughs> out exactly. of the church. In fact, if you go back That's to good. our founding, not only did George Washington encourage the practice of religion and morality because he said it was an indispensable support mm-hmm. to the maintenance of liberty, but they all knew even the unbelievers, even those who were not, not Christians, knew that without virtue, our entire political structure could not last. So they actually gave money to religious causes, mm-hmm. not because they were supporting a particular religion, but because they knew that religious causes fundamentally would encourage the, the self-governing society that we had created. So, yeah, people get it backwards. I think that our audience probably doesn't get it backwards, but... Yeah. And to anybody new who's listening, yes, yeah. that your understanding of church, so-called church and state separation, which is a misnomer, purely came, yeah, read about the Danbury, the letter to the Danbury Baptist from Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, his entire aim was to say the government will not interfere with the church, not the other way around. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the things that, that have been said in this conversation. And um, look, it, and it's true, we, we are always legislating morality I, I just want to remind folks you know I'm, I'm not I'm gonna I'm not gonna quote this verbatim but it's like you know John Adams stated that our Constitution is wholly inadequate for uh, an immoral and irreligious people mm-hmm. it, that it's just it doesn't it doesn't work without a judeo-christian framework yeah. it just doesn't and so you know my my heart breaks for and I, I appreciate the way you set up your response more because it's true I I think there are people that are making these decisions outside of a relationship with Christ mm-hmm. and, and in the midst of a lot of um, hopelessness, you mm-hmm. know. However, you know, I just want to state we do, and our legislature does, have an obligation to look – there's there's a thing going. In fact, it crossed my feed today. Everybody's talking about Christian nationalism mm-hmm. right now, right? That's that's the, that's the new thing. <laughs> right. Well, I, I'm I'm just going to confess to you 
Um, I'm, I'm a Christian nationalist, yeah. you know, it, and, you know, so sue me because I, I believe that this country was founded on a biblical understanding of a biblical framework of law on natural law. Our, our laws are written in such a way uh, and our constitution, certainly in such a way that recognizes that we, that God is on the throne. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just the way it is for those of you who can accept that. Uh, I'm sorry, you yeah. know, but I make no apologies uh, that this is the way we operate here in America. And um, we can have compassion, right? And we can be tolerant of a lot of things. But where law is concerned, we are constitutionally, our legislature is constitutionally required to uphold the law of God and to defend life. That is just, you know, on this particular topic, that's just where we are. I'm very thankful. Our legislature, in my opinion, as many well know, uh, doesn't do a lot of things right. But praise God that what we have done right here in Tennessee is we've chosen to protect life. Yeah. And I'm thankful to live in a state where most agree that we do have an obligation to protect the innocent um, and those who can't defend themselves. But I will also acknowledge that means that we also have an obligation to care for people. Mm-hmm. And we need to ensure that our state works very hard and we help to propagate and promote and resource faith-based initiatives that mm-hmm. are reaching out to these women and reaching out to families and helping to bring yeah. life and healing and restoration uh, and wholeness. And I want to emphasize that, how important it is as Christians, yeah. not just to uh, support life and fight against those who try to take life, but also to support those moms who are, unfortunately, whether they agree with us or not, are caught in uh, those situations where a pregnancy is difficult socially and economically and relationally and in so many ways. And I think it is our responsibility as the church to yeah. walk alongside them and yeah. support them and pull them into the kingdom. Amen. I, I want to add one more thing, because when you bring up the topic of <laughs> the fra- even the phrase Christian nationalism is intended to instigate a fight, yep. right? Yep. So I used to give a speech all the time talking about the superiority of the American order, and it, purposely inflammatory by the language, but then so I could also explain it, too, because people misunderstand. This used to happen a lot in the Obama administration— he would dismiss American exceptionalism, but but he would misdescribe it and mischaracterize it intentionally so that he could cut the legs out from under it, straw man argument. But what I used to explain is that the superiority of the American order is not founded on some notion or belief that we are intrinsically a better people. We're not. There's sinners throughout the entire world, in the United States and in every nation. The superiority of the American order is not also founded upon some notion that we are a better race of people. We're not. We're first of all, we're all races. Mm-hmm. I mean, the United States of America has every single melting race. Pot. Yeah, that's what a America true is. melting pot. The superiority of the American order was rooted simply in this: that our founding documents and our societal regime, founded as it was upon natural rights unalienably endowed by God, form a societal regime which is simply more consistent with human nature and the real order of the universe than any other social civil order in the history of the world. It was the permanent problems of the human condition, what we Christians know and refer to as sin, which led our founders to structure 
an enduring document whereby men's tendencies to fraud, violence, mm. ambition, and avarice could be restrained without affecting the liberties of the people. It's an order. It's not Americanism. It's the order and the structure. It's so consistent with how we were created. And that's what led to the greatest prosperity yeah. and freedom of any society ever. And the reason that we're losing it today is because we're, we've left, long left, its Christian foundations. Yep. Kevin, well I don't said. think I've ever heard it explained better than that. Yes. That was great. Well, I'm humbled, really my said. thank you. <laughs> well, Omar, it was a, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's too short for sure. Uh, Definitely come back because I, I feel we could have some more. Yeah, I'd love to conversations. It, it was a treat to have you, and I'll, I'll just, I'll say it again. I'm thankful for your voice out there for several reasons. Um, Thank you. And uh, I, I look forward to hearing uh, a, a lot more from you on on several different platforms. I feel like. Uh, I feel like the Lord has that uh, in in your future to some degree, but yeah. but we're we're thankful that, that uh, you visit us today, and uh, yeah, thank you for your wisdom, and um, yeah, and thanks can, for asking. And can we send him out with the rest of that Buble Christmas song? <laughs> sure, why for, not for consistency? Oh my right. gosh, it's to look a lot <laughs> what is happening? I love it. <laughs> If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.